Well, I want to ask you, if you will, to go ahead and get your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. As you're flipping there, I'll just piggyback off Nick for a moment and say, uh, man, we, we need you to get involved in Hope for Christmas. We've constantly said over the last several weeks that we want to be the church that stuns our community and our world with our generosity. And Hope for Christmas gives us a great opportunity to do that. Um, we don't want our community after this event's over to go, well, they had good intentions, right? They tried hard. Uh, we want our community to go. Those people absolutely blew us away by giving of themselves so freely and so generously. So again, as Nick said, get involved. Pick up some toys. Pick up some food bags. Make some donations. Give the hope offering and know that every bit of what we bring in is going to people who desperately need it. Um, well, the past two weeks of my life have served as a great reminder to me uh, that we live in a world that is very dark and very broken. Um, two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to Burkina Faso, West Africa, and I appreciate the opportunity to be away and to go there and just to dream about how our church can get involved in helping people across the world who need to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Um, but man, while I was there, and this is my third trip over, like, I mean, the things that you see in the stories you hear, like, they don't get any easier to hear and see the more times you go, right? You hear things like one in three children die in Burkina by the age of, their, or by the age of 10 years old. So if you're a parent with multiple kids, think about that. Like, there, you bury one of your children before they reach the age of 10. You got kids there dying from malaria because their parents don't have $2 to spend on the medicine to cure that disease, um, you've got parents who are being forced because they don't have enough food to feed all their kids. They're being forced to choose maybe a, a child or two from their family to provide for and to take care of while letting the other children die. Because if they try to feed all the kids, all the kids will die. And you see this while you're there. You see examples of it. Um, you, you see their uh, crippled people, paralyzed people. And we got a chance to um, meet some awesome needs. I don't know if you saw my post on Facebook, but... We met handicapped people who've literally spent their entire lives in Burkina dragging themselves through the dirt to get from place to place because they don't have wheelchairs, they don't have any kind of, uh, any kind of equipment there to help them get around. And so I had the privilege on my birthday of all days to pick a man up out of the dirt, spent his entire life there. And to put him in this handicapped bicycle that this group from Pennsylvania started making and manufacturing and sending across the world to these people who just need help. And man, it was a humbling and an honoring experience to be a part of something like that. Um, in Burkina, again, I could go on and on, but the physical need that you see there, it is overwhelming. And for me personally, again, every time I've gone, it's left me saying something's wrong. This world is a dark and a broken place. This is not the way people should be living their lives. Um, what makes it worse is you see all the physical need, and then you start hearing about the spiritual need that exists there. Um, things like 27 people groups. We're talking hundreds and thousands of people who've never heard the name of Jesus. They've never heard the story of the one who came to give them hope and forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Hundreds of thousands of people here. We were in one village uh, while we were in Burkina called the Fulani people. And uh, this village, tens of thousands in population, 98% 
of this people group is Muslim, and we were told that if a kid in the Fulani village comes to know Jesus and they're publicly baptized, that their parents will disown them and force them out of their house. We were talking eight, nine, ten-year-old kids profess faith in Christ, and they are driven from their home, and their parents treat them as if they're already dead to them. Then you go in other villages. We went into several villages out in the bush, away from the city, um, where the people there are animist, which means they worship nature. And in these villages that we're working in, um, deep in Burkina Faso, uh, you go in and, and there's witch doctors in these villages. Men who, according to the missionaries that are on the ground there, spend five years of their life secluded in a cave in order to become possessed by demons so that they can go back into these villages and have the ability to place curses on people all for the the purpose of keeping those people in these villages in fear so that these men can control the way they live, think, act, and believe. Again, I know for us, like we're here in America, right? And we don't see that kind of stuff. Like you put something shiny in front of us and man, we're we're distracted, right? Um, There, these are the things that these people are dealing with on a daily basis. And again, as I saw these things firsthand, listened to these stories two weeks ago, I just kept going, man, this place is broken, this place is dark, something's wrong. And then two days after we get back from Africa, Wednesday afternoon, um, we get the news about Andrew. We hear that our brother, um, this incredible man, one of the greatest guys I've ever known, killed in a tragic accident while out riding his bike as he does, you know, four or five times a week. And Andrew, um, he's not the kind of guy that you would ever think something like this would happen to. Like Andrew, man, he's a committed, devoted follower of Jesus, a great husband, a great father to three young kids, a great worship leader, um, a huge encourager to anyone who'd ever meet him. Like I was looking in my phone after we had gotten word of his death at text messages that he and I had just sent back and forth. And time and time again, I was just reading Andrew telling me, love you, buddy, proud of you, killing it up in Seville, God's at work, praying this scripture over your life today. I'm just sitting there. I mean, I'm sitting in my office with my wife on Wednesday, reading this email over and over about Andrew passing, tears streaming down my face, and I'm just sitting there thinking, how in the world does something like this happen to a guy like that and his family? And church, listen, the answer is simple. This world is broken. This world is dark. This world is desperate for change. We live in a very, very broken place When I say our world is full of darkness, what I mean is this. I mean darkness in the sense of how the scripture uses the word darkness. And and the scripture talks about darkness while associating it with things like sin and all the consequences that sin brings along with it. Things like evil and poverty and suffering and disease and injustice and tragedy and death. Listen to me, church. We live in a broken, dark world because sin is present in our world. And I just want to remind you, and I know I've said this plenty of times before, but I'll keep saying it. 
we live in a dark, broken world not because God decided to make the world that way. Like when God created the world in the beginning, um, we read in the scriptures that everything was perfect. There was no sin here. And because there was no sin here, there was no suffering or tragedy or injustice or poverty or death here. You see, God intended for us to live in a world free of all of those things. But what we did as people is this. We chose a different path. We chose to live life differently than God had intended us to live. And when we did that, sin entered our world. And with it came all of those things that you and I see on a daily basis that leave us understanding that something is wrong here. So here's what I want to say to you, church. When you see the effects of sin just destroying our world, when you turn on the news and you see things there, when you look at poverty and injustice, when you hear stories of great men being tragically taken from us, listen to me. Don't allow those moments to let you run to God to say, God, how in the world? Like, don't, don't go shake your fists at God. Listen, what you do in those moments is you pray that God would help you to hate sin all the more. Sin is why our world is the way it is. And I pray that you and I would just live every day with a deep hatred of sin and the enemy who, who uses that in our world to destroy lives. That's my prayer for us. Right, here's what I want us to think about, okay? If God of the universe, like the one who created everything in existence, including you and me, if God who, according to the scriptures, he, he's the opposite of darkness, the opposite of brokenness, like God who is not characterized by sin, evil, and injustice, but instead is characterized by things in the scriptures symbolized by light, things such as righteousness, holiness, perfection, grace, mercy, compassion, love, hope, peace, and life. Church, listen to me. Don't you think that if God were to step into this very dark world, this world, again, where children are starving to death, half the world lives on less than $2 a day, people are dying senselessly every day, great men are taken from us. Don't you think that if God stepped into this very dark place that the world would take notice? I mean, it just seems to make logical sense, doesn't it? Um, but I want you to go to the scriptures with me. And I want us to look together, 1 John 9, 1 through 11. You don't have to flip there. I just want you to read it on the screens. Look what happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, stepped into human history. One of the most tragic passages of scripture, I believe, in the whole Bible. The Bible says the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So listen. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the one who, according to the scriptures, made everything in existence, you and me. He is the light of the world, the, the Bible calls him, and he calls himself, as we're going to talk about today. He comes into this dark place, and listen, the world missed it. They missed people that he created and that he loved, stood before him, He's light in a very dark world, and people didn't even take notice that he was here. Now, I know the argument from some people against this, right? Some people would say, um, well, the reason that 
the world missed Jesus being here, um, it's simple. It's because Jesus wasn't really God, right? Like people at times um, want to put Jesus in this box of their choosing, whether it's like another religious leader, a great prophet, a, a good rabbi, good teacher, good example for us to follow while denying that Jesus Christ was God and even going as far as saying that Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. Now, the problem um, with all of those arguments, church, is this book. Just read the scriptures. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Listen to Jesus teach. Pay attention to the things that he said. And here's what you'll find. You'll find Jesus over and over, unashamedly, unapologetically, declaring himself to be God. I mean, he went from village to village, performing miracles, forgiving people of their sins, all for the purpose of saying to those around him, I'm God. And in John 8, 56, we find one of the clearest declarations from the mouth of Jesus about his godness, his divinity, if you will. And in John 8, 56, he's standing before a group of religious people, and he says to them this statement, man, that we just can't miss, huge implications. He looks at these Jewish people, and he says, before Abraham was, I am now, Abraham, he's the father of Israel. He is one of the most important Jewish men in all of Jewish history. And Jesus Christ, he makes this statement, before Abraham was, I am, again, for the simple purpose of making these people aware of who he was. You see, Jesus in John eight fifty six used the same phrase that we find in Exodus 3 when Moses was standing before the burning bush. And God was speaking to him and telling him to go into Egypt to free the Israelite people from slavery. And Moses says, God, when I get there, who do I tell them sent me? And you remember what God said? He said, I am sent you. You tell them that I am sent you. What God was trying to communicate to Moses in Exodus 3 was this, by calling himself I am. He was saying to Moses, I am the self-existent, eternal, almighty, absolute being who created and rules the universe. And when you go to my people, you tell them that I sent you. That's who I am. And in John 8, 56, Jesus looks at a bunch of religious people and he says, I am. I'm God. I'm the same one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush centuries ago. I'm here before you, and I am the self-existent, eternal, almighty, absolute, absolute being who created and rules the universe. I'm God. No wonder these people wanted to kill him. He's God. He's God from his own mouth. Now, here's the big question. That's true about Jesus, right? Like, if Jesus um, isn't a liar, I don't think Jesus is a liar. I think he's a truth teller, right? He's God. He, he's not a liar. Um, if Jesus isn't like a crazy man who needs to spend time in a mental hospital, right? Just running around calling himself God because he's out of his mind. But if Jesus is really telling the truth, and if he really is God in the flesh, here's the big question I think we have to wrestle with. How in the world did so many people miss him while he was here on the earth? And church, the answer is really simple. Um, It's because of darkness. Because of darkness. And when I say darkness, I I mean sin. You see what sin does? Darkness, it blinds people. You ever walked around in the dark trying to find something? And failed to see the things that were right in front of you? Right? 
I remember as a kid going to a place called Cumberland Caverns. It's this cave place up in Tennessee, and you spend the night there, and they're giving you this tour when you first get there. And at one point, they turn all the lights in this cave out to show you how dark it is, and you could literally poke yourself in the eye and not see your finger, right? It's that dark. It's crazy dark. Darkness blinds people. It doesn't allow you to see what's right in front of your face at times. And listen to me. Spiritual darkness is the same. You see, when people are walking in sin and in pride and in selfishness, when they're trapped in spiritual darkness, they have a hard time seeing what's right in front of them. And we get a picture of this in John 8, 56 and throughout the rest of the scriptures where you see people standing in front of the great light of the world, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, blinded to who he is. This is what darkness does to people. And while Jesus was here on the earth, he knew this. He knew people were trapped in darkness. He knew people were blinded by their sin. And in John chapter 8, he makes the second I am statement that we find recorded in the scriptures to declare to people that he created, that he loved, who were trapped in darkness. He wanted them to understand who he is and what he came to do in their lives. And we're going to pick up and read this one verse in John 8, chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens. Here's what Jesus says to them. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. There's that phrase again, church. Don't miss it. I am. Jesus is saying, I'm God, and I'm here to be the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I want to give you some background on John 8 so that we can understand the huge implications of this simple statement from Jesus. Jesus made this statement at a huge Jewish celebration called the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Feast of the Tabernacles, um, it would take place over a seven-day period, usually in either October or September, in the city of Jerusalem. And people would travel from all over the place into Jerusalem for this feast. And when they got there, they would make these shelters out of like branches and leaves. And people who lived in the city, they would also make shelters either on top of their houses or outside in their yards. And these shelters were referred to as either tabernacles or booths. And so you get this name, Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, this feast and this celebration was very well known for two unique ceremonies that took place over the course of these seven days. And one was a water drawing ceremony. And what would happen is this, the priest, they would take this huge golden container down to this pool of water called the Pool of Siloam. And they would fill it up and they would bring it back to the temple. They would enter the temple through what was known as the water gate. And as they were coming through this gate, there are people all around quoting the scriptures, quoting Isaiah 12, 3, which says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. As this is going on, the priests, they're singing psalms aloud. And finally, the priests, they would take this water and they would pour it out on the altar at the time of the morning sacrifice and offer it up to God. And the reason they did this was simple. It's because they knew in the Old Testament, prophets like Ezekiel in Ezekiel 47, prophets like Zechariah in Zechariah 13, talked about the day in which God would send a Savior into the world to forgive people of their sins, to offer them a new relationship with him, and to give them eternal life. And these prophets regularly referred to the Messiah as living water for his people. 
They're trying to communicate the fact that when the Savior came, he would quench the spiritual thirst of people who were desperate for a relationship with God, desperate for eternal life. Now, the other ceremony that took place at the Feast of the Tabernacles was the lamp lighting ceremony. And uh, what would happen is at night, four large lamps would be lit in the temple court of women, and people would hold these burning torches in their hands. It was a really safe ceremony. And uh, they would dance around with torches in their hands under the lights, and they would sing praises to God all night long. And again, the reason they did this, again, it was simple. Because in the Old Testament, prophets like Isaiah... Prophets like Zechariah wrote again that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, when he would come into the world, that he would be a light for his people, that he would forgive people of sins, and that he would bring people out of darkness and give them eternal life. And so don't miss this, church. In the middle of this celebration, Jesus steps before the crowd of people, and he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. He's looking at this crowd of people celebrating the fact that God was sending a Savior. And he's saying, it's me that you're celebrating. I'm here. You don't have to wait any longer. I'm the one who can bring you out of spiritual darkness, forgive you of your sins, give you a relationship with God, and bless you with eternal life. I'm here. I am the one you've been waiting for. Now, how crazy is it, church? That these people were gathered to celebrate the idea of Jesus while missing the entire time that he was there to give them everything they so desperately wanted. You see, these people, man, they were celebrating during this feast hope. They were celebrating peace. They were celebrating life. They wanted to see so desperately the darkness in this world overcome by God. This is why they had gathered. Jesus is there to offer it to them in person, face to face, but they completely miss who he wanted to be in their lives. Now, church, um, does this not sound like the world we live in today? Like, don't we live in a world full of people who love the idea of peace and hope and joy? Don't we live in a world full of people who want to live lives of meaning and purpose? Like, I don't think anybody came in here today going, I want to waste my life. Like, I just want to be a bum my whole life. I don't really want to do anything great. When I die one day, I don't really care if anybody says anything great about me. I don't think anybody wants that. Like, you want your life to matter. The, the, these people, much like us today, like these people's world, like our world, man, full of people who want to live life in a world void of suffering, void of violence, void of disease, void of poverty, free of injustice, free of death. Like our world is full of those people. So many people where we live today, man, they're desperate for these things to become realities in their lives and in our world. The sad reality is this. These people want this but they keep missing the amazing truth. They're blinded to the truth that Jesus Christ can offer all of these things to anyone who will place their faith in him as God's Savior and Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you're one of these people. Like maybe you're that person, you look around at the world and you know something is wrong. You know that things are not the way they should be. Like, you look around and you are disgusted at the evil, the suffering, and the injustice that you see. 
Maybe even in your own personal life, you have struggles and hardships and you wake up at times and you wonder if you're ever gonna overcome those things. And you so desperately want to live a life more than what you're living right now. If you're honest today as well, some of you in the room, you have no idea if your life were to end today where you'd spend eternity. But you know what you're desperate to know? You want to know? And you want the hope of a better life. You want the hope of not being stuck where you are. You want the hope of living a life that counts. You want to believe that our world could change, that you could be different. You want to know, man, that when you look at your future, there's hope waiting for you. But again, your biggest problem has been you've wanted those things and you've celebrated the idea of them but you've kept missing that Jesus Christ is the one who came to offer all of those things to you and make them realities in your life. And listen to me, if you're that person here today, I just want to invite you, man, quit looking past Jesus and give your life to him. I'm not talking about praying a little prayer. I'm not talking about saying all the right churchy things about Jesus. I'm talking about giving your life to him dying to yourself and letting Christ live in and through you. I pray that some of you, if you don't know Jesus, that today would be the day that you finally confess and believe that Jesus is God. I believe he's who he claimed to be while he was here. I pray that some of you who don't know Christ, man, today would be the day you finally say, I believe in what Christ did for me at the cross. I believe that he went to the cross and died in my place for my sins so that I could be loved and forgiven by God. I pray that some of you today would finally confess, man, that you believe that after Christ died for you, that he rose from the grave to conquer sin and death and hell and Satan and demons and all the things that keep our world broken and in darkness. And he did that for you so that you could have eternal life. You could have hope for your future. You could know that when you close your eyes in death one day, that you'll wake up in the presence of God. I pray that today you'll finally give your life to Jesus if you don't know him. See, church, the hope that we have as Christians is not that we're going to live our best life here on this earth. Like the hope that we have as followers of Jesus is that our best life is yet to come. And if you don't know Christ, man, you got to come to know him. In this life, it may not be easy and you might have to suffer through some things, but you can lay your head on your pillow every night knowing that one day you will live in the kingdom of God where there will be no more darkness. Scripture even says there's no more night in the kingdom of God. We don't even know what darkness is anymore. There will be no more sin, evil, suffering, poverty, injustice, disease, death. Everything will be as God originally intended it to be. And for those that know Christ, we'll live in that for the rest of eternity. If you don't know Christ today, give your life to him today. You gotta do it today. For the rest of us in the room who would say we know Jesus I just want to ask you a simple question. Are you living your life each day for the darkness of this world or are you truly living to be a light? And maybe I'll ask it a different way to help you answer. Um, let me ask you like this. Does your life, the life you live every day, the, the way you treat people, the things you say, the way you act, um, does your life attract attention to what's wrong with this world, which is sin? Or... Do you live your life each day attracting people to Jesus Christ, the hope and the light of the world? The reason I ask this question, it's simple because 
The scriptures teach us that if we know Jesus, our lives should reflect who he is to the world around us. Jesus himself tells us this. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus makes this statement to his followers. He says, you are the light of the world. So he goes from saying, I'm the light of the world, to looking at his followers and saying, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. He's telling us, don't live your lives in such a way that you hide the light that I've put inside of you as your God, your Savior, and your Lord. What a wasted life to claim to know Jesus and to live to attract people to darkness. And then he goes on, and he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your fathers in heaven. Listen, according to Jesus, the goal of our life as his followers, it's simple. We should wake up every day and live our lives in such a way that people look completely past us to him. People should be able to see the way we act, hear the things we say, look at how we treat others, see all the good works we do in the name of Jesus, and know that unless Jesus Christ is alive in us and working through us, that we can never pull those things off. So again, we don't try to live our lives to make great names for ourselves. We're supposed to live our lives as followers of Jesus to attract people to him, the light of the world, who can bring people out of spiritual darkness and give them hope and life. So I'm just asking, are you living your life that way? In a book that I've been reading in preparation for this series, Warren Wearsby, who's a great pastor and theologian, he wrote this. He says, Jesus is not visibly walking our streets today, but his people are here to represent him and to spread the light. Millions of people profess to be followers of the Lord, so there ought to be plenty of light in this world yet things seem to be getting darker. Jesus promises that if we follow him, we will walk in the light, not in the darkness, and that his light will give us life. Even more, we will be lights in this dark world and we'll help others find the true life. Listen, you wanna know what your life's about? That's what it's about. In everything you do, everywhere you go, where you work, where you live, where you play, the goal of your life is simple, to attract people to Jesus. Are you living your life like that? One of the things that I, I love about my friend Andrew, that was a guy who lived his life like that. He was a guy, every time you were around him, and he was going to encourage you, smile at you. I used to joke and call him Buddy the Elf. Like, all right, smiling's my favorite. Every time you saw the guy, smile on his face. Every time you were around the guy, something encouraging to say, in the name of Jesus. He, he was a guy, I was talking to Matt about this early, who one of the purposes for riding his bike was to meet other cyclists who didn't know Jesus so that he could share Jesus with them. He was a guy who lived his life to make the light of the world, Jesus Christ, known to others. I just pray, I pray that I can be that guy. I pray, man, every day that I would live my life, spend every moment of my life living truly for the moment I see Jesus face to face. And I pray that for you. Like, I want you to waste your life. Like my prayer for my own life is that when my time comes, that it would be an easy transition. And that when I get to where Jesus is, it won't be so much different than what I was doing here on the earth. Right? I'll just transition, keep singing, keep worshiping, hear well done, and know that I spent my time on earth well. Are you living that life?
If you need to know Christ, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. If you already know him, wrestle. Ask God about those areas of your life in which he needs to bring light into. And let him do that today. So I just want to ask you, if you will, bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's pray together. Father, people in this room today need you. God, I I just pray for the people here that are stuck in spiritual darkness, that have been living in sin, ignoring you, don't know Jesus, don't know what their eternity looks like if their life were to end today. God, grip their hearts in this moment. Make them aware of how desperately they need you and the hope that Jesus Christ can offer to them. Listen, if you're one of those people, you don't know Christ, Again, as I've already said, right in your seat, let today be the day that you surrender your life to him. If you don't know him, you need to know him, just pray this prayer to God. Say this to him. Say, God, today I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that you sent him into the world to bring me out of spiritual darkness. And God, today I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. God, I'm asking you to give me eternal life. God, I want to know that if my life were to end today, that I'd spend eternity in your presence. God, today, save me. Bring me out of darkness and bring me into the light. God, I want to know you and I want to live a life that counts for your glory and for your name. God promises. And if you confess, you believe those things, he'll save you. He'll start changing you right now in this place and your eternity at this moment It's changed forever. I just want to ask you to do something. If if you just prayed that this morning with every single head bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that, I just want you to look up at me really quickly. Just look up at me. Just look at me. For those of you guys that are looking at me, there's nothing greater that you can live your life for than Jesus Christ. He loves you. Your past doesn't matter to him. Your present was defining you right now. doesn't matter to him. He loves you, and he gave his life for you. And this morning, he saved you, and he's going to change you. And you can walk out of this place confidently knowing that one day you'll see him face to face. You made the greatest decision of your life this morning, and I applaud you, and I celebrate with you. For the rest of us in here, Just pray and ask God again. Expose those dark areas. Help me to live my life to attract people to Christ. Allow him to show you those areas this morning. Father God, thank you for our time together. We thank you for Jesus, God, who is our hope. Thank you for the people this morning, God, who prayed and confessed you as Savior and Lord, God. And I just thank you for new brothers and sisters in the kingdom, God. pray you continue to just work on our hearts. God, as we worship you today, God, we give you this time, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.